Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. Without further ado, I do want to jump into the message. God has placed something on my heart. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to pray that we can jump in. We're looking today from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to begin in verse 55. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to begin in verse 55, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Verse 57 says, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Bow your heads with me as we hear from a word called when the wind is not yours. When the wind is not yours. God, we're grateful for this moment of worship. We open our hearts to you. Speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. I was 19 years old. I had begun being serious about recording and writing songs and doing music for five years at that point in time. I was in the studio with my brother. I had two albums at the age of 19. A lot of y'all didn't know Pastor Rico used to be a rapper, did you? You guys didn't know that. You guys didn't know that I, you know, you're looking at me like, oh, he's about to rap. I'm absolutely not about to rap. I'm absolutely not about to do that. But I want you to know that I w- music was my everything at this point in time. I poured all my heart and soul into songwriting. All of my money and resources went to equipment. I used to love to do music. My brother, uh, he was in the music industry as well. He's 15 years older than I am. He had a record deal in Europe. He owned a recording studio, had connections. So I was able to enter into some of my music um, you know, uh, connections through him. And I remember there was a, 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 probably a pinnacle point of my teenage years was this big competition that I had the opportunity to be a part of. It was called Michigan's Got Talent. I'm from Michigan. Michigan's Got Talent, okay? So this was a big deal to me because, oh, I get to be in a statewide competition. I get to compete against other singers and rappers and dancers and even actors from all around the state. I was so geeked. Me and my best friend, who was my partner in crime at the time, we put together the very best seven-minute set of the coldest early 2000s R&B songs and rap songs and even a choreographed dance segment. You wouldn't believe it. I know. You wouldn't believe it. We ain't going to tell you, but it was all original music too. Don't, don't get it twisted. We, we, were, we were official with ours. I was in this competition, and I was excited because I, I knew it. I was like, man, this is weird. Let me tell you why I was excited too. I was excited because there was a producer who was from my city who actually had, uh, had the experience to work with some major artists at the time. Chingy, I ain't gonna say the artist because y'all, y'all it's, we got, you know, we're different generation over here. I'm gonna tell y'all how old I am if I start naming the artists. But he was a big time producer and I was excited because he was hosting this competition and he was actually looking. So the winner got $5,000 and you also got a record contract with this producer. And I wanted that. I wanted that. I wanted the exposure. I was excited. So we put together the best set we could possibly get. We go up here. We perform. We brought the whole crowd. Everybody that was there was there for us. We were, we were like, we're going to win this. We're going to get this. 
We get up on stage at the end when they start announcing all the people who are winning, and they announce the third place, and it's not us. Then they announce the second place, and I'm like, ooh, we got this, because if they got that, then we must have this, and second place wasn't us. And I was like, hey, we won this. We got first place. They didn't say our name. And then they said somebody else's name for first place, and we didn't even place. Not only did we not win, we didn't even place. And I remember being crushed. I remember being hurt. I remember going home and I was angry. I remember my mom trying to make me feel better. She said, but you worked so hard. I watched you work so hard. I'm proud of you. And I couldn't receive it. I said, mom, I didn't work that hard to lose. I didn't work that hard to lose. And I know you in your games, in your life, in your marriage, in your job, you don't work that hard to lose. We, we, we work to win. We, we train because we care about this. We don't train to come in second. We definitely don't train not to, not to, not to finish at all. We work to win. Nobody trains to lose. I know that this is also a biblical concept, this idea of winning, because Paul says it in another part of scripture. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Paul's even telling us as an interrogative, run in such a way to win. Don't run for second. Don't run for third. He wants you to, to, to run to compete. This is a word for us today because I know we can relate. As our athletes are sitting here, I know that you guys lift these weights every day. You guys are running this track. You guys are showing up to these games. You guys are going to class tired because of how hard you're working after school. We know that we do this because we want to win. Verse 57, though, of our scripture today, it says, he gives us the victory. I want us to be very clear that Paul Though in scripture is elevating this idea of winning, he is talking about spiritual victory. Be not confused. He's talking about spiritual wins. In the areas of your life where you struggle the most, none of you are training to lose. In the areas of your life where, 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 where you find the hardest fight, you're not fighting to fail. You're working to win. It may be learning to forgive your husband or your wife. That's a spiritual battle. It may be trying to maintain your motivation at work because you don't feel appreciated or you're barely making ends meet, although you're always at this building. That's still a spiritual battle. It may be that you want to develop a higher degree of patience for your children. That's still a spiritual battle. You could be a student far from home who's struggling with depression. That's a spiritual battle. None of you are fighting to fail in whatever it is you're fighting for. You're working to win. And nothing feels worse. Tell me if I'm wrong. Nothing feels worse than giving your entire self in an area of your life that you cannot win. Nothing feels worse than constantly investing in an area where you lose time after time after time. There's an article I was exposed to through a podcast that told us of this idea of the great resignation. Post-COVID, we found as early as six months after things began reopening, 
Uh, there's one professor from Texas A&M University who published this, and he said that post-pandemic, one in five people were quitting their jobs. In fact, it was estimated that 2021, 41% of the entire workforce quit. 41% of, and I know y'all been to the drive-thrus and like, what's the taking so long? I don't know why. Didn't used to be like this. No one wants to work anymore. We've been hearing people say that. We know that since the pandemic, you've seen that people are quitting their jobs. The pandemic has shown people that they can be entrepreneurs. The pandemic has shown people that they're not appreciated at their job. It's shown people that they can make money alternative ways. It's, it's been difficult. This is an idea called the great resignation, but... At the top of this year, there was new research that came out that actually updated this idea of the great resignation. It's not that people are quitting their jobs anymore or resigning. What's actually happening now is what's called a quiet quit. And this is a social phenomenon that the, the, the Harvard School of Business has told us about, the quiet quit. So people are not submitting resignations and quitting their jobs now. What they're doing instead is they're showing up in their body but they're leaving their heart at home. They're showing up and doing the job, but I'm not gonna come early and I'm not gonna stay late. I'm gonna do the bare minimum to meet the requirements. This is called the quiet quit. What has happened is you've, you, you, you've actually seen people now say, I'm not gonna sacrifice my benefits. I'm not gonna sacrifice my salary. I'm a kid getting paid, but I'm gonna do the least. This is called the quiet Quit. It's when employees aren't winning at work, they aren't declaring their departure. Instead, they are doing less. And some of us can relate to that in our own areas of our lives where our struggles are. Because the truth is, it's actually human nature that when you're giving where you're not winning, that you begin to quietly quit. That's in your human nature. And this word today is for somebody who's in the midst of a quiet quit. Our victory is in Christ, and we're going to get to that. But this message is for somebody who is quietly quitting now. Because it feels good to quietly quit. Because you don't have to publicly announce your departure, and you don't need to explain anything. Because if you quit trying instead of quit completely, then if you don't win, at least you know why. If you quit trying instead of quitting, you won't feel weak when you don't win. If you quit trying instead of quitting, you won't have to explain to people why you're struggling. You can't be held accountable for the outcome if you just quit trying, because at least you're still present. Quitting trying makes it so that you can, you can hide behind the excuse that you just don't want it anymore but I'm still present. What could be more miserable than being a Christian who is set free from the power of sin but still does not live in the reality of victory? What could be worse than knowing that the condemnation that was against you and the power of the sin that's against you, you still feel powerless to, even though Jesus died for you. What could feel worse than knowing that you belong to a faith? As a Christian, I'm still struggling. I still have this addiction. I still have this lust. I still have this problem. I'm still confused. I still don't understand my identity. But as a Christian, I'm supposed to. We believe this. 
And nothing could be more miserable than knowing you're on the winning team, but you personally are losing. We're talking about victory today. What could be worse than knowing that you're forgiven, but you never experience victory over your sin, over your circumstances, over your situation? To be forgiven, but not to live in victory is misery. What the scripture is actually teaching us about victory, though, is that it's a gift, that it's something that is given. And if you're anything like me, you're challenged by what it says in verse 57. And if you guys put that up the screen, verse 57, I want you to look at what this actually is saying. It says that he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But I got a problem with this because a victory by very definition is something that must be won, not something that can be given. On my birthday, you can give me a gift. On Christmas, you can give me a gift. You can give something to me and I can receive that, but you can't give me a victory. I gotta earn that. I gotta run the race for the victory. I gotta play the game for the victory. I need to take the test for the A. How is Paul saying that we get to have a victory given to us through Jesus Christ? I got a problem with understanding what this is trying to explain. Because it looks to me and sounds to me like, Jesus, you're just handing out participation trophies then. What is, what is the true value of a victory if I don't got to work for it, if you just give it to me? And I'm speaking to some people who in the church are here because you believe you've earned your seat. I'm speaking to some people in the church who are here because you believe that because of your salvation, because of your, 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 your knowledge and your sanctification process, that you are where you deserve to be. I'm also speaking to some students who are in a place where they're like, yeah, I, you know, I had to work this hard to get here, but they didn't. The value of a victory is almost diminished when it's just given to you. So what is Paul trying to tell us here? What is Paul wanting us to understand about this idea of victory being given to us? Listen, a victory can be given to you when the victory was never yours to begin with. In order for a gift to be a gift, it needed to belong to someone else first. Follow me. The victory that Paul is talking about was never yours, you were never gonna get it, it don't matter how many times you ran the race, don't, know, don't matter how many times you won the game, you would have never gained that victory. That victory was given to you because of whose team you're on. We're talking about victory. This victory is a gift that's given to you and it's yours to receive. And because of that, we know that in all things, we are more than conquerors through who? Him who loves us, it says in Romans 8, 37. Because this is a gift, it says, for the Lord your God goes with you to fight for you against the enemies to give you the victory, it says in Deuteronomy 29. We know that this is true because if God is for us, who can be against us, Romans 8, 31. So what does this mean? That we don't have to fight. I don't got to show up to practice no more, coach. The victory's been given to me. I'm not showing up to the game. 
not showing up to church, not showing up to parent, not showing up anymore for my wife or for my husband. I'm going to start quietly quitting in my life. It don't matter because the victory has been given to me anyway. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. It doesn't mean that we don't have to train. It doesn't mean that we don't need to show up. And this is why I love the combination of scriptures here. Because although verse 56 is an expectation, it shows us what we can look forward to. It's based on a promise. Verse 57 is, I'm sorry, verse 57 is the expectation. It says that he gives us the victory. That's about something we can look forward to, something we can expect. But we cannot read verse 57 without looking at verse 58 as well. Because verse 58, follow me there, verse 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. It says, because of the victory being a gift to you, you still got to do something. There's, 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 there's instruction given here. Okay? The, verse 57 was a promise. Verse 58 is prompting. Verse 57 was an expectation. Verse 58 is exhortation. It's clear instructions towards something. You are being asked, urged emphatically to do something. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always, listen, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Give yourselves fully. I, I want to point out that verse 57 talks about what God gives. Verse 58 talks about what you give. Verse 57, God is giving you what? The victory. Verse 58, you are giving yourself. Give yourself fully. Stand firm. Notice I did not say give to God. Today's message is not telling you to give God something. It's saying give yourself fully to something. Because God gives you the victory, he's asking you to give yourself to the victory. Follow me. God is giving you the victory, but then God is asking you to give yourself to that victory. What does that mean? That means stand firm. Simple. That means show up. That means no more quiet quitting. That means I'm going to be there, both feet on the ground. The victory belongs to me because I'm on the winning team. The victory has been given to me, and I am going to show up. I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to give myself fully to my wife. I'm going to give myself fully to Orangewood. I'm going to give myself fully to my students. I'm going to give myself fully to my classmates, fully to my teammates, fully at practice. You are being called by God to give fully, even though the victory is already yours. God gave you the victory, but God is asking you to give yourself to that victory. That's what this means. Where are you withdrawing? Hmm. Where are you showing up in your body but absent in your heart? Where is God calling you to give yourself fully to today? Listen, family, you don't, get to, you don't get to be loud at church and then quiet at home. You, athletes, you guys don't get to loud shout on the court and then quietly quit in the classroom. 
We gotta show up in both places. You're asking, you're being asked to show up in both places. I'm not telling you today to stop sinning. That's not what this message is. And I'm about to close with the story. We're gonna take communion and we can go on our way. But this, this, this message, I'm not telling you stop sinning. I'm not telling you figure it out. I'm not telling you fight harder. I'm not telling you do the win. I'm not telling you to stop sinning. I'm telling you to stop stopping. I'm telling you to quit quitting. Quit quitting in the area of your life where God has called you to be more. Quit quitting in the area of your life where the walls have been built around you and you can't get past them. Quit quitting there. I'm telling you to quit quitting in the places where you're so discouraged. I'm telling you to quit quitting in the areas of your life where you've experienced abuse so you no longer want to be in that place. You no longer want to forgive that person. I'm telling you to quit quitting there. I'm telling you to quit quitting where you're hurting. I'm not telling you to figure it out and get your sin right. God never did that. He never asked you to stop sinning. Nowhere in scripture will you find God condemning you saying, because you couldn't stop sinning, you couldn't. That is not what the gospel is. The gospel is I've given you a victory so you get to live your life this way. The gospel is I took care of the sin for you. You're gonna still struggle with it, but you are not gonna be overpowered by it because the victory belongs to the Lord. I was 10 years old. Believe it or not, I was one belt away from being a black belt. I say believe it or not, because you think your boy can't kick, just because I'm, I'm a little heavy up here. Don't get confused. You come up here, you get a heavy-handed roundhouse. I'm trying to tell you, don't, don't get confused. His back foot does, you know, his back foot does things. I was a red belt, black stripe, and I was good. They asked me to join the Junior Olympics and go to South Korea. When I was 12, not lying to you, but my mom was overprotective. She didn't let me go nowhere. <laughs> then I just blamed it on the Sabbath. I said, well, the Sabbath. But the truth was, my mom said, you ain't getting on no plane. You ain't going nowhere. But I enjoyed the sport of Taekwondo so much. It was one of my first passions. And I love that in this sport, I had the opportunity where I got to work with my dad. So I had been in Taekwondo for a while and I was red belt, black stripe, which means I'm I earned eight belts. The next one is a black belt. My father, halfway through my journey, joined Taekwondo as well because he loved it. And so what was different was I was, I was only 10. He was an adult, so he went to the adults class and I was in the kids class. But because he was learning the stuff that I already knew, the instructor allowed me to be his assistant. So my dad's class happened at 6 p.m. My class started at 7 but I would come and I would help teach my dad and the other adults who were just white belts. They were new to Taekwondo, I would teach them and I loved it. It was so fun because I got to instruct the other people in something that I was passionate about and I felt cool because I got to tell my dad what to do. And I thought I, you know, I thought I had it together. So we used to do this thing where it was called sparring day. Sparring means that you're essentially gonna fight. You're gonna put on the, the, the chest protector and the, and the guards, you're gonna put on the headgear and you're gonna fight like you're in competition. And it was doubles or singles. So you could fight one-on-one -on -one or they would fight two-on-one. -on -one. Well, today we were doing team, which means they wanted me to fight one-on-two. And they actually wanted me not to instruct, but my instructor said, Rico, you get in there. And I was like, oh, this is the adults class. I can't fight the adults. He said, no, Rico, you get in there. 
So I'm on a team with my dad and our collective points is what wins the game. And then there's two, a team of two, a team of two, a team of two, a team of two. But I have to fight them one-on-one. -on -one. They said, no, your dad don't get to fight with you. You got to fight. And they made me get in the ring with two adult black belts. They did this on purpose. They made me fight the other two instructors in the class. Everybody else was white belts. I was 10. I was good, but I was 10 and I got my butt kicked. At one point, I looked at my dad, I was like, they're abusing me. <laughs> they, you, can't, you can't let this happen. They were training me. They were teaching me how to be hit, how to manage my fear, how to manage my breathing. They were teaching me how to be afraid and fight anyway. But let me tell you what I love about this, is that because it was a team competition, even though I had to fight without my dad, even though he was on my team, he also had to fight. My dad was good when it compared to the rest of everybody else. So all of the points that my dad won when he was fighting got added to my score. See, but when I lost my fight against the two adult black belts, I felt bad. I was crushed, I was hurt because I said I let my dad down because I wanted to win that fight. And then so when they call up the winners and they call up me and my dad, I was confused. How did we win when I lost? They said, you won because your father fought with you. They said, you won because your father fought with you. The victory is yours because the victory is your father's. I didn't have to win. I didn't need to land every punch. I didn't need to land every kick. I got to have the victory because the victory belonged to my father. Family, the victory belongs to you because the victory belongs to the Lord. Stop stopping. Quit quitting. Because of a sacrifice that was made on a cross one day, we are able to claim a victory that we will never be able to win on our own. I invite you today to fall fully into that victory.